Thanks, Mike and Dana. If you will, take your Bible and turn to Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Paul wrote about half of the New Testament. And uh, I'm going to let you be seated because uh, I want to just kind of work through the first two or three verses here. And then we'll read the rest of it. And so you can just be seated today. Colossians chapter 1. Okay. It's not a large book. It's we got Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Picking up in verse 1, we know that this is not really a book that somebody wrote. A uh, book that Paul wrote, rather, it is a letter that he wrote to the church at Colossae. And he writes, he begins, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. Now, Paul's there to say that puts he and Timothy, he, in his mind, he's putting he and Timothy on the same plane. And he's laying out the reason that he, do, that he does what he does, and it is because of the will of God. You know what that tells me? Paul didn't choose this. God chose him. He was a preacher. He was an apostle. He was a missionary because God chose him. Every preacher that stands in the pulpit, every person that pastors, every person who is in the kingdom of God should be there by the will of God, doing what God has called you and me to do. That's the only reason that we live and move and have our being is by the will of God. And then he goes on to say, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. And I'm going to stop there to say, it dawned on me as I was reading this week before last that Paul never wrote a letter to lost people. He only wrote letters to people that were the same faith and belief. And most of the time that he was writing, he was writing to correct what was going on in the church. We just got through on Wednesday night reading through the entire uh, Corinthian letter, 1 Corinthians. We read all 16 chapters, one chapter a night. And Paul wrote that as a letter, really, because Corinth was so carnal, he wrote to correct a number of problems. And in Colossae, in Colossae, he wrote to fix some things that went wrong. And we'll get to those, some of those in just a second. And then he just gives the generic Hebrew uh, um, greeting when he says grace and peace to you. First of all, you don't have grace if God's not in your heart. Grace is us getting what we don't deserve, what we, what we don't deserve from God. There is no, if, if you don't know God's grace, you don't really know grace at all. Peace is only the peace that can come from the grace of God, settling down your heart, giving you the ability to stand firm while the world out, around you spins out of control. I can't think of a day and time when we need peace internally like we need it today because I can't think of a day uh, that this world has spun so more rapidly out of control than today. Now let's get to the letter. We always thank God, Paul writes, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the 
hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it does also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, I pray that you'll take these next moments, and I pray that you will illumine us in a way that will motivate us to be your people, that we will understand the love and the grace and the mercy that you have showered on us, that we will understand the task that you set before us, and that we will never rest on our um, laurels, that we will do what you've called us to do and be what you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Jesus came to earth to bring to us the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of heaven. The gospel of himself. Now, since the word gospel means good news, it would be right to say that Jesus came to earth to bring us good news. Good news. I mean, you think about his life and, and his words echo. He says, I am the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. John says in the beginning of his gospel, he says, in him, in Jesus, was life. Jesus goes on to say to confirm and affirm who he is. He says, I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly or more modern day to the fullest. You see, God doesn't want us to have a half-life. He doesn't want us to have a boring life. God sent Jesus to the earth because Jesus is life. Now, in this room, that's a popular statement. But in our culture today and in our world today, that truth, Jesus is the way, Jesus is the truth, Jesus is the life, is being challenged. There are people among us today who say, well, you know, Jesus is a good thing. He is a way to God. He is a truth. In fact, the most popular belief today is that all 
All religions lead to the same God. That led me to read a little bit. Dr. Jerry Vines wrote on this particular text, and he said there's two words today that are really permeating society. It may not be your society, but society in general. First is pluralism. The second is syncretism. What does that mean? Pluralism is okay in the secular field because that means diversity, that, that you include everybody, that you like everybody, that, that pluralism probably is okay. But pluralism applied to spiritual things gets us into trouble because it, gets, it leads us down the road to this thought, it don't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. Now, there are people, even people in Baptist churches today, because they have friends in the cults like the Mormons and like the Jehovah's Witnesses, and they want to believe that it doesn't matter what you believe because they have these friends that are so committed that surely they're okay. Problem is, that's heresy to God. I mean, folks, how sincere you are has has never mattered about truth. When you were young and you were unmarried and you met him or you met her, I want to be married. You could have believed you were married. You could have been sincere about you were going to marry that person. But the truth is your sincerity had nothing to do whether you would or not. You can believe sincerely that you can stick your finger in a fire and won't get burned. Guess what? You'll be sincerely wrong. Pluralism. The other word is syncretism. Now, syncretism, it could be a fun word. Now, I kind of like this word, Brenda. It could be a fun word because syncretism literally means that we can make it up and believe what we want to. Wouldn't you like a religion where you could just make up everything and just you have God that you're comfortable with and, and you could just do it all just like you wanted? You could, you could, if you didn't like that, you could throw that away. You didn't like that, you could throw that away. You could pull in this and you could make your religion just like you wanted it. Once again, the problem is like pluralism, syncretism is heresy. Now, there are people who will just think these are new concepts, pluralism, syncretism, that they're new concepts, they're new words, and we've not heard them. But I want to just tell you something. These new words and, and concepts go back. I can take them. We're going to take them right here to the city of Colossae. They're as old as the New Testament. Colossae, let's, let's get a little history so we know about the why Paul wrote and what he was trying to do. Colossae at one time was a real hustling, bustling town. It was, on, it was on a major trade route. Now, remember, there were no airplanes. There were no cars. There was very limited private uh, transportation. You normally went in a group for protection. And the trade route, the trade uh, caravans would come through. And so Colossae was a beneficiary of these trade routes. Now, Paul never visited the town of Colossae. What happened is that as days passed, um, Colossae and, and Hierapolis and another town was about 100 miles from Ephesus. And at one point, Colossae began to go down. But, 
But let's get to how the church got in in Colossae since Paul didn't visit there. Paul spent three years in Ephesus, about 100 miles away. And we can document at least two people who came from Colossae to Ephesus and were saved. That is Epaphras, who we just mentioned in our scripture, and another guy who a letter was written to in the New Testament, Philemon. These two guys came from Colossae, and they were the beneficiaries of Paul's personal ministry. And so when they came back to their hometown, like we should do when we come back to our hometown, they began to share Christ. They began to share the teachings of Paul. People began to get saved, and the church began to grow. And it was on good foundation. It was great theology, great teaching. And as I said in the message this morning, nothing destroys a church worse than bad theology. And when the bad theology began to creep into the church, this is how it worked. This is how it happened. Is that think about all the people coming on these trade routes into this little town. And they were bringing their paganism. They were bringing their mysticism. They were bringing their heathenism. And they began to inundate the town. And then they began to creep in the church. And the false doctrine began to eat like a cancer, like it always will. You let false doctrine Something contrary to this book be taught and believed in the church and it will tear up the fellowship like a cancer. And so Paul writes this brief letter to them and to point them toward the authority of Christ, toward the superiority of Christ, but toward the God ahead of Christ. And we'll see some of that even next Sunday. And he pointed them to Jesus as a refresher course on the gospel of Jesus. I'm afraid that in our modern-day church that too often we forget about the gospel of Jesus. We forget how Jesus saved us. We kind of got used to it. We forget how Jesus secured us. We, we forget how Jesus calls us. We forget how Jesus lifted us up from the miry clay. And so for the next few moments, as we... As we begin looking at this letter, let me offer you four truths about the gospel of Jesus that I find here. The first truth that I find here is what I'm going to simply call the essence of the gospel. The essence of the gospel. I've already read verses 1 and 2. Here's how Paul always started his letter. He identified himself as the writer. He gave them greetings. And then, knowing they're in trouble, he doesn't blast them. He begins to build them. And he begins with these words in verse 3. He says, man, I thank God for you. I thank God. Don't you like it when somebody says, I thank God for you? I mean, don't you just love that to be for somebody to... Thank God for you. Can I ask you a question? Have you ever wondered this? Not how many people say, I thank God for you. How many people say, I thank God for this church? Shouldn't that be our goal? That when people come through and they leave, they they thank God for the church. But I want to submit this to you. If the only thing that they have to thank God for in any church are the memories and the friends that they've made, we have missed the mark. Certainly they should thank them for our fellowship and for our love. 
If they only think for the memories, then we have missed it. You know, Paul had no memories of the church at Colossae because he had never been there. The reason that he was thankful and the, and the reason that he prayed for them is, is because of what he had heard from them. When a person leaves the church, the best reason to be thankful for that church is because the church offered them and gave them and kept them with things that no one else can offer. Do you realize that we offer what no other organization, no other group, no other people could give? We offer the gospel of Christ. We offer to, to help them find their way from the domain of darkness to the domain of light. You do realize that when people come to Hueytown Church, we can give them good music. Man, we got great soloists. We got... We got, if I start naming them, I'm going to leave somebody out. Somebody's going to be mad. We got Jamie. We got Dana. We got now Whitney. We got a choir full. We got a band. We can offer them music. We can offer them activities. We can offer them fellowship. We can offer them opportunities. We can offer them friends. We can offer them everything. But if we don't offer them the gospel, we have missed the mark. Paul gets into the essence of the gospel here, and he says, We thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus, when we pray for you. And now watch, watch how he brings us out. He says, We thank God since we have heard. Watch what they've heard. How much they fought. How, much, how cantankerous they were. Watch this. Since we heard of your faith in Jesus. Since we heard of how much you love one another, since, since we love, since we, since we have heard about your hope that's laid up in heaven. Did you get those three big words? We thank God because we, see, we have heard of the essence of the gospel that your faith in Jesus, your love for one another, and your hope is what shines out from the church. That's the essence of our calling. That's the essence of the gospel. Our faith in Jesus. Now listen, are you are you following me along? Our faith in Jesus should be a life-changing as well as a life-giving faith. Our faith in Jesus should be our motivation, should be our driving force, should be our heartbeat. Because we have been, in Jesus, we have been forgiven of our sin. We have been saved from that place called hell. And we have been given life and life everlasting. It's the essence of who we are as Christ followers, if indeed. We are Christ's followers. It should be said of us that we center our lives around the gospel of Jesus. It was certainly what the church at Colossae was known for. Our faith in Jesus. Our faith in Jesus, which means that we follow Jesus. 
should have as its natural result love for one another. I'll say that again. Our faith in Jesus should have its, as its natural result our love for one another. We need to process that. God is love. If we are His people, we walk in love. If we are His, if we have faith in Him, we do what Jesus said when He said, Hey, the whole world will know that you're mine because you love one another. Now, I want you to contrast that statement with the average congregation, the average Baptist congregation today. What's the average Baptist congregation known for? The average Baptist congregation known for today? Are we known for our love? Or are we known for our disunity and disharmony? Sometimes we laugh about that, but the truth, you know, you can say, never happened at a Baptist church, but that fight went off and everybody will start giggling because, you know, fights are in the church. Isn't that, a, isn't that a real black eye for God's people? You see, I wonder, I just wonder how the world out there actually sees us. I wonder what they think about us. One of it's true. These guys with their problems, they had... Even with the problem of slipping into the church, Paul had heard of their faith, he had heard of their love, and that faith in Jesus led to the natural outgrowth of their love, and these two components worked together to point them to the hope in heaven. I believe I can be on pretty solid ground today when I say that that's a missing link in the average church today. Few people today are really looking forward to heaven. We've had it so good for so long, we don't realize how it can be any better over there. Now, you take 50, 60 years ago, people who came out of the Depression, people who survived World War II, man, they're writing songs about heaven left and right because everybody wanted to get away from here and get there. But you know what the Bible says? I has not seen nor ear heard all that the Father has in store. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about heaven. He's talking about paradise. He's talking about Beulah land. He's talking about having hope to be in a better place than this world. I won't tell you what. I'd have a million bucks in the bank, everything I wanted. And I'm just telling you, this world's not my home. I'm just passing through. The essence of the gospel, faith in Jesus. Love for the brothers and hope, and hope for tomorrow. Second, from the essence of the gospel, what I see here, to the expansion of the gospel. The expansion of the gospel. Now, cursory reading of this won't give you a real view of this. If you just kind of read over it, but if you read it more slowly, more in depth, here's what will happen. Look, look at that second sentence in, in verse 5. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, 
gospel. The gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing. Now think about that. The progression is, you hear the word of truth, the gospel, you understood the grace of God, which means you got saved, and now in you, it is bearing fruit in the world. And it goes on to say that, as it does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God, talking about you, since you've been saved, it's now working in you and through you to the whole world. Can I ask you a question? Is that happening in your life? Is the gospel permeating and penetrating your life? Comes to you, you understand it, you receive it, and then you share it. I want to say that again. You're asleep. You you hear it, you understand it, you receive it, and then you share it. Hello? Here's what I'm telling you. Here's the problem. The reason this world is in the mess it's in today, Bubba, is because it seems to this preacher that too many who claim to have heard it and received it are holding it close to the breast. Don't want to turn it loose. Maybe we don't think we can trust the community with it. Maybe we don't think we can trust God with it. You see, folks, if we turn it loose... We don't have to explain it. If we just turn it loose, what's going on in us, it'll span to the every crook, nook, and corner of the world because that's the way the gospel goes. By the way, us sharing it is God's design. There are people who will say, oh, you know, who's going to be saved is going to be saved. God's got it under control, so don't worry about it. If that's the case, why in the world... Did Jesus tell us his last words before he left? Go and make disciples. Be my witnesses. Start at home. Then go to the surrounding areas. And then go to Samaria, those places you don't want to go. And then go to the uttermost parts of the world. He says, as you go about your daily lives, share the truth. Share the gospel. And that's the divine design. By the way... If you look in verse 7, that's the design that these guys were taught. Because he says, you do this just as you learned it from Epaphras. Remember who Epaphras was? He's one of the guys that sat at the feet of Paul in Ephesus and was saved under Paul's ministry. Paul gave his life to the gospel. Can I ask you a question? What are you giving your life to? Are we giving it? Let me get in trouble here. Are we giving it to our favorite hobby? Are we only giving our life to our families? We should. Families are top priority, but they're not a they're not a higher priority than Jesus. Are we giving them to our favorite sports team? Are we giving them to our favorite liker? What are we giving our lives to? Could it be that the reason the gospel is not expanding is because we're not giving our lives like he's called us to give? You see, he's called us to give the essence of the gospel, the faith, hope, 
the faith, love, and hope that comes to us, the expansion of the gospel that we share what we get. And then number three, the effects, effects of the gospel. You look in verse 9 through 12 and you'll find a number of effects. Some that I would call to your attention are these. Verse 9, he says, From the day we heard it, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you, here we go, may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened. I want you strengthened with all power. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father. I wish we had time to unpack all that he just wrote and we just read. But I'm just going to unpack one or two, okay? Begin with, begin with verse 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Ouch. How in the world do we walk in a manner worthy? Well, the word walk indicates live your life. The word manner means in such a way. So you walk in such a way that you're worthy of the Lord. That means that you walk in such a way that you bring honor and glory to the Lord. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works, but they may glorify the Father who is in heaven because they know who is empowering you. How do we do this? How do we live a life in such a way that we bring honor and glory to the Lord? Well, it's still in this book, in this passage, if you look in verse 10, fully pleasing to him. How do we fully please the Lord? If I were to ask you, Just tell me in one word how you fully please the Lord. What would that word be? I'm not going to embarrass anybody. Here it is. It's obedience. It's obedience. That's it. It's that simple. Oh, It may be simple to say. It's not simple to do. The way we walk fully pleasing the Lord is be obedient. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my word. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll do what I've asked you to do. Jesus said, encouraged us in Matthew, probably chapter 6, to seek first God's kingdom. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And if you'll do that, all the rest of this stuff will be added to you. It is a God-first lifestyle. It's It's a life that has been taken over by the gospel. What's first in your life? I mean, what is at, and if you're going to say Jesus, then come by afterward and say, Brother Jerry, here's how I know Jesus is first in my life, because this past week I wanted to do this, but Jesus wanted me to do that. I wanted to do this, but Jesus wanted me to do that. Where does Jesus fit in your schedule? Where does Jesus fit in your, fit in your spending habits? Where does Jesus fit in your, in your life? Putting God first. is either authenticated or invalidated by what we read next in the Scripture. 
fully pleasing to him, putting God first. And here's how we know. Bearing fruit in every good work. Bearing fruit in every good work. The effects of the gospel of Jesus on every one of us should be that we become fruit bearers. I know you're tired of me saying this, but I will say this until I am convinced in my heart that every person who sits under, my, under the preaching that God has gifted me to do until I'm sure that everybody is right with God. Here's what I'm going to tell you. There are many people. There are many people that are not fruit bearers because many walked the aisle, prayed a prayer, got baptized, took a seat, and let somebody else do the work of the Lord. I'm not going to try to go for the juggler and make us all feel guilty, but here's what I am going to tell you. God expects and he demands that we be fruit bearers. It's that simple. It's either obedience or disobedience. God didn't send Jesus into this world so that we could come to Jesus and take a seat. God sent Jesus into this world to save us so that in our salvation we could be planted in him in this world and we could bear fruit. It's that simple. And it's the fruit. I mean, you've read the fruits of the Spirit. You remember what the fruits of the Spirit are? Love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And the way the gospel affects is that if our lives are lived in such a way that we're bearing the fruits on our branches, other people come up. It's, It's interesting about fruit. Have you ever seen an apple tree eat an apple? Have you ever seen a grapevine eat a grape? No. Stupid question. The love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness are the fruits that we hang when we walk with Jesus, our faith in Jesus, so that other people can come and take and partake of the fruits of the Spirit, which are part of our lives. Having said all of that, all of this, three truths, the essence of the gospel, faith, love, and hope, the expansion of the gospel that, that he works through us, the effects of the gospel, that we walk in a manner worthy, leads us to the last truth, and that's the essentials of the gospel. It is not good news Sammy Gilbreth says this. It's not good news if you don't hear it in time. The essence of the gospel is found in verses 13 and 14. It it reads, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have Redemption, the forgiveness of our sin. See those three things? Do you realize that we live in a triune world? Did you know that? Time is divided into past, present, and future. Space is calculated in longitude, latitude, and altitude. Water is liquid. Solid and vapor. At the atom is is electrons, 
protons and neutrons. In the spiritual world, and that's really kind of where we get this triune nature. In the spiritual world, the Godhead has Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We ourselves have a body, a soul, and a spirit. And here we find three essential parts of the good news of Jesus. If you know Jesus as your personal Savior, on a Sunday night, most people will say, yeah, I know him. If you know Jesus as your personal Savior, three things has happened. First of all, he's delivered you, he's transferred you, and he's redeemed you. He's delivered you from the, dark, from the domain of darkness. That means he saved you from being on your way to hell where you would spend an eternity in a dark place in that outer darkness that, 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 that burns day and night. And you go, how can a fire have be dark? Well, the Bible tells you that. And it burns forever and ever and ever. He saved you from the domain of darkness for eternity. He saved you from the domain of darkness here on, on this earth. He's transferred you from that domain of darkness into the kingdom of, the, of Jesus' only Son, of Jesus, God's only Son. He's transferred you to where you are part of Jesus' kingdom. You know how He did that? He redeemed you because you can't get into Jesus' kingdom if you still have unconfessed sin, unforgiven sin in your life. He redeemed you because He forgave you of your sin. May I tell you what the gospel's not as I end? The gospel is not a church building or church activities or anything that we equate today with the gospel. The gospel is Jesus leaving heaven and coming to earth, being born through the womb of a little virgin girl living a perfect life, dying a sinner's death, being raised from the dead, ascended back to heaven, seated by the right hand of God now where he, where he makes intercession for us. And as He makes intercession for us to the Father, when we come to Him, He forgives us of sin. In other words, He is He's transforming us. And then He comes to reform us and change our lives and our habits. And then He's to conform us and make us into the image of Jesus. He not only comes to save us from hell, but He comes to save us to heaven. And He not only does that, He comes to walk with us each and every day, to lead us each and every day, to help us each and every day to control us each and every day if we'll come to Him. Oh, it's conditional. You don't like it conditional? You need to take it up with somebody the higher paid grade than me. And I ask you, has Jesus done that for you? Has He changed your life? It is true that as a part of the Christian life, that we should be a part of a body, and we should be a faithful, consistent part of a body. One of the things that's killing the body of the Christ today is that we've got arms and legs running all over the place elsewhere when they should be here functioning with the body. How would you like it? How would your body function if this leg decided, 
I am not going where you go today. I want to go out there. Or, or this, or your head decided, you body, body, you can go where you want to. I'm going, and you're going, that's silly, Brother Jerry. It might be, but it's what's going on in the body of Christ today. If you don't believe it, look around. We're half as many as we were this morning. Hello? Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, is about a changed life. It's about a life that makes an eternal difference. That's what the gospel of Jesus is about. Has he changed your life? Let's pray.